If you're listening to this, you probably know that the United States of America gets involved in a lot of foreign wars. We all know the big ones, World War I, World War II, Korea, sort of, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iraq again. But before and in between all that, the story a lot of us heard in school is that the U.S. military didn't get out much. Turns out, that's kind of a blatant lie. I'm gonna guess a lot of us don't know about the multiple Spanish-American wars, the wars that led up to the Battle of Little Bighorn, or the baffling number of times we invaded Mexico. Odds are, you've never even heard of things like the time the Marines invaded Taiwan or the Oconee Wars. I'm Trevor Cully, host of the new podcast America Secret Wars, where I am going to sit down with a guest in each episode and dive into the history of all the forgotten and overlooked times that the United States deployed military force against other nations. You can find America Secret Wars at secretwarspod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yet, La Zique is difficult to traverse everywhere, both to the right and the left of the Fasses River. For there are on both sides extremely high and jagged mountains, and as a result, the passes are narrow and very long. The Romans call these roads Clesura when they are speaking in Greek. But since at that time Lazike happened to be unguarded, the Persians had reached Petra very easily with the Lazor as guides. Copius, the Wars of Justinian, Book 2. Chapter 29, lines 24 to 26. Thank you to Chris from Age of Victoria podcast. Gamarjoba, and welcome to the History of Sacadvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and this is episode 34, The Second Siege of Petra. In this episode, we will look at the events surrounding the Second Siege of Petra and the immediate aftermath. Just repeating this again, I am going to Georgia in early May and would like your support in helping mitigate research costs while I'm there. I want to take advantage of visiting historical sites, museums, I'm buying books to benefit the show and would love your support. Every $100 donated will have me create a bonus episode based on something that I see in Georgia. And I will also be making a daily audio journal about my time there 
probably release on a daily basis on my return in mid-May. You can go to tinyurl.com slash trip or follow the link in the episode description. Now, let's get into the show. Once more upset with their suzerain, the Lazai revolted and returned to Byzantium's sphere of influence. Holstro's religious and economic oppression had turned the Lazai's opinion of the Persians bitter, but when followed by the Shahan Shah's attempt to assassinate King Gubaz II, their hatred of the oppressors was all but solidified. Gubaz reached out to the Byzantines and begged Emperor Justinian for his forgiveness and for assistance against the Persian menace. King Gubaz's obeisance to Justinian left the emperor overjoyed. This would increase his access to the important trading ports on the Black Sea coast, as well as the resources of Lazica. With this in mind, Justinian sent 7,000 troops under the command of General Dagistaios and 1,000 Sanoi to assist Lazica. They met with Gubaz, and together they began to siege Petra once more. Much to the chagrin of the Lazai and Byzantines, the Persians had done a great job of fortifying and supplying Petra to withstand a long siege. In the meantime, Hosro learned about the Byzantine attack and dispatched an army with Mir Mirowe at the head. Once Lazai scouts alerted Gubaz of the Persian advance, he ordered Dagisaios to aggressively defend the pass below the Rioni River and ensure the siege of Petra was not hampered in any way. Gubaz took the Lazai army and blocked the pass to ensure no Persians managed to escape. However, Gubaz II made an incredible blunder. He made an alliance with the Alans and Sabiroe, where he had promised them money in exchange for assistance in preventing the Lazai land from being plundered, and to attack Kartli as often as possible to ensure that the Persians could not resupply there. The Alans and Sabeiroi were content with this, especially since they could double their income by just being paid to steal from the Persians. Unfortunately, Gubaz himself didn't actually have the money to pay them, and was banking on Justinian being able to do it for him. This led Gubaz to promise them that Justinian would be the one to pay them, and he would ensure that they would receive this pay. Gubaz begged Justinian for this money to give the Alans and Sabiroi some relief, not to mention that Gubaz was owed from the last ten years of being a silentiarius in Justinian's court. Justinian unfortunately was either unable or unwilling to pay it, and his excuse was that he was occupied with some other things. Of course, that day, Gubaz learned the valuable lesson of not promising to pay people with money you don't actually have. Back on the patron front, Dagestaios was also not having a great time. According to Procropius, he was, quote, a young man and unqualified to carry on the Persian war and did not handle situation properly, end quote. Procopius further accentuated his point by saying that Dagestaios should have sent the larger part of his army to the pass along with Gubaz II and possibly gone to oversee the situation before making a full decision on how to disperse his troops. Hindsight is 2020, of course. But Dagestaios sent a small group of only a hundred men to defend the pass, as if it wasn't vital to defending his position. The siege itself was not doing so hot either. Dagestaios was making no progress at breaking both the walls and the morale of the Persians holed up inside. If anything, 
The losses they suffered only made them dig in their heels more. The only part of the defenses they had destroyed so far got them no closer to their goal, as they managed to destroy it in such a way that the rubble still protected the Persians, and there was a building blocking their entrance. Nevertheless, Byzantine morale remained high, and many felt victory was right at hand. At one point, Dagestayo sent a report to Justinian suggesting that maybe if he lavished him with gifts and treasures, he might be more motivated to try harder. Justinian did so, but the resulting attack was still of no avail. An upset Dagestayos then ordered his men to continue digging around the city, as their assault of the walls had failed, and Roman spirits began to drop intensely. The digging did produce results, however, and soon the foundations of the walls and city were visible. Dagestyles' men were eager to burn the foundations down and break into the walls immediately, but the general hesitated. He was awaiting signs from the emperor that he knew what had happened, so he did not order his men to do so. In another major blunder, an Armenian soldier named Ioannis Guzes ended up wounded after attacking the Persian army without any support from Dagestyos, simply because Dagestaios had neglected to order anyone to do so. This general indecision would never do, and by this point, the long-delayed Persian general Mir Mirloe had finally passed through Kartli and was hastening towards Petra, having received news that the parts of the wall had fallen. Miran, the Persian garrison commander, decided they needed to raise their guard after this attack. He personally met with Dagestaios to trick him into believing that he was ready to surrender and raise the gates. This ruse bought him a little time to regroup and refortify the walls as the Byzantines, foolishly believing they were on the verge of victory, halted their attacks. Mir Mirdo's forces finally arrived, needing only to bypass 100 men blocking their way. The Byzantines pushed back the Persian advance thanks to their fortifications, but Mir Mirdo'e overwhelmed them with the size of his army. While the human wave tactics didn't break through their fortifications, Byzantine morale and energy were low, and they were forced to retreat up into the mountains in order to survive. News of the retreat reached Dagestaios. In a panic, he ordered the siege to be terminated, despite Gubaz's orders, and the Byzantines marched to the Rioni River. They were in such a rush that they were forced to leave their possessions in the camp. The Petran garrison took advantage of this by looting the Byzantine camp for supplies. Unfortunately for the Persians, the Tsanoi tribe were still in the area and had not followed Dagestaios, because they were their own men. They defended the camp with apparent ease and took many Persian lives. However, the Zanoi were not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, as they proceeded to blunder the Roman camp for themselves and returned home. Once the Zanoi were gone, Mir Mirdoe finally arrived at Petra. There, he found a dire situation. Out of the 1,500 men originally stationed there, only 500 were left. 350 of those were too wounded to fight, leaving a grand total of 150 men to defend the entire fort. The fort itself was permeated with this horrific smell of human corpses, as there was never an opportunity to clear out their fallen comrades' remains. Morale was practically non-existent, but they nevertheless held fast against the Byzantine onslaught in the end, thanks in no small part to the sheer incompetence of their opponent's general. Mir Mirdoe couldn't help but laugh at the Roman commander, as they had come so far to take over a city with walls on the verge of collapse and barely any men to defend it, only to learn that the greatest enemy was inexperience. 
Folks, remember this tale the next time your boss promotes your idiot coworker over you, then claims to believe in meritocracy. The new Persian general wisely surmised that it was important to rebuild the fortifications before the Byzantines returned. But a major issue arose. There were no materials around to do so. In a moment of quick thinking, Mir Mirwe ordered his men to use their standard-issue bags to construct a wall of sandbags. He then left 3,000 men to defend the fort, ordered them to continue rebuilding, and left for Paris Armenia. He also left all of the army's provisions there and nothing for the army he was taking with him, as he had heard that people populated the mountain pass he was taking so they could live off the land. Adorable Lazai named Fubelas led an ambush for the Persians as they made their way there. Dagestiles and 2,000 Romans attacked the Persians as they grazed horses, causing some damage and stealing some of their horses. Mir Mirawe decided not to retaliate and pressed on. Gubaz, who we haven't heard from in a while, learned what happened at Petra and at the Roman Defended Pass. However, he was unable to do much about it, as he believed that defending his location was the best chance Byzantium had against the Persians. Even if the Persians were able to cross the pass, get into Petra, and force the Romans onto the opposite side of the Rioni River, they could do nothing against the Lazi, as they would need ships to cross the Rioni River with ease, especially with all the troops that they had. The Lazi even had fortresses all along the banks of the river, making enemy disembarkment difficult. It's also around this time that Justinian finally got around to paying the Sabiroi, as well as Gubaz. Mirmiroi's supply run in Persarmenia did not work too well for him. He barely found enough to supply his own men, let alone to supply Petra. He decided to leave 5,000 men in Petra at the command of Fabrizos and three others. Mirmiroi didn't even think of leaving more men, as the Romans had not returned to attack while he was out in the field. With that, he completed his journey into Persarmenia. 5,000 Persian troops made their way back to the Lazai border from Persarmenia and camped near the Rioni River, splitting apart into raiding groups to gather provisions. Gubaz, aware of the situation in his territory, messaged Dagestaios to hurry up and assist them in fighting the Persians, since they kept attacking the territory. Dagestaios did so, and moved alongside the Rioni River until he came opposite of the Lazai camp, which stood across the river. Luckily, the river could be forded here, which the Lazai knew, but the Romans and Persians did not. So the Lazai crossed and joined the Romans. The Persians sent a thousand men and attacked anyone who got too close to the Persian camp. This strategy did not hold long, because two captured Persians revealed the army's plans. This prompted the Romans and the Lazai to swoop down upon the thousand Persians, and most were slain. Gubaz and Nagistaios interrogated the survivors about the condition and position of Mirmiroe's army. The Lazai and Romans marched against the Persians at night, aiming to surround them. The Persians, unaware of the situation, were asleep. They had no idea about the river crossing, and did not expect anyone to attack them that quickly, since it would have taken time to go around the river. Nor were they expecting their thousand men to return so quickly anyways. Chaos erupted in the Persian camp as the Lazai and Romans attacked at first light and killed them as they slept unarmed in their beds. Many were caught and killed as they were roused from the noise of the slaughter. Many were captured, including a commander. Only a few escaped into the darkness. The victorious armies plundered the camps for the standards, weapons, gold, and horses. They chased the remaining Persians all the way to Kartli. They encountered another group of Persians whom they nevertheless soundly defeated. With that, the Persians were driven from Igrisi. The Lazite remained to defend the pass so that the Persians could not further supply Petra and all enjoyed the spoils of victory.
To connect with us, feel free to find us on social media under at History Georgia or on Facebook at the History of Sacadvelo, Georgia. Our intro music is Bindisperia Sopeli by Zadashe. They will be touring the U.S. in September 2024, so keep a lookout for them. This is where I'd like to remind you of the ongoing GoFundMe to help support my trip to Georgia. To help this podcast continue, please feel free to subscribe to our Patreon or donate via Coffee or PayPal. The links are in the episode description. If you would prefer donating something a bit more tangible, we also have an Amazon wishlist for you to peruse. The best way to help us is via review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast host, as it goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madlaba, Dunnakbamdis, and thank you for listening to The History of Sacredville, Georgia. See you next time. Shall never do.